Hello and welcome to EcoScience Podcast. Today we have Teal as our guest speaker. Hello, Teal. Could you please introduce yourself as a herpetologist and natural resource technical lead, as well as the organization that you're working at? Absolutely. I'm Teal Richards Dimitri. I am one of the natural resources practice area leads for EnviroScience Incorporated. And my main role is as a herpetologist and wildlife ecologist for the organization. Could you please elaborate more on what EnviroScience Incorporated is working on? Yeah, so we are a kind of niche environmental consulting firm, definitely focused on ecological consulting. Started out 30 years ago as a primarily toxicology type lab and then built out from there. And so our services include all kinds of things now. Threatened and endangered species surveys, general species inventory. So those are the things that I do a lot of. Wetland and wetland permitting, all kinds of GIS type work, mapping technology, cartography. Um, We have a commercial diving group, so hard hat diving, which also do a lot of our science diving for our malacologists. We have the most federally permitted malacologists, which are freshwater mussel biologists in the country at our firm. Um, That's one of our things we're kind of really known for. We have a handful of engineers on staff, but most of us are biologists and environmental scientists. And so what I often say is We are an environmental company that hires technical experts to be the middleman between a client and an agency. So the agency wants either a municipality or a corporation or a utility company or a developer to do some, follow some rule or some law, but they don't have the technical expertise to do that. So they hire us to do that for them. So next, could you talk about why you want to work in the field of environmental consulting? So that one's interesting. I was just talking to my husband right before. That was one of my favorite questions you asked. So I don't know that I ever wanted to work in the field of environmental consulting, but having technical expertise, working on threatened and endangered species, prior to being in consultant has made me a good consultant. And honestly, the reason I'm an environmental consultant is because it's a job and our field is incredibly competitive and not everyone can be at an agency. And, and unfortunately agencies aren't funded enough. So the reason environmental consultants exist is that work still has to get done. So businesses have made the solution by, you know, oh, we need a wetland delineation. You can't wait for an agency to do that for you. You hire somebody to do it for you. So do I enjoy my work most of the time? Do I sometimes feel like it, environmental consulting can be a little sticky, right? Because you need to be a client advocate because they've hired you to do a job but you also have to have integrity and ethics to be a good biologist, 
a good permit holder of whatever agency's permitting you to do and um, and produce high quality technical science products, right? There's a very fine balance and I'm fortunate to work for a company that feels that high quality ethical work is our main mission. So what are some current projects that you're involved in? I wrote a list of just things that I've worked on in the last like two days. The last couple days we're working on launching. So we have, we have an office in Richmond, Virginia. We have an office in Stowe, Ohio and Akron. We have an office in Morgantown, West Virginia and an office in Nashville, Tennessee. And we have a contract to do all the inventory of reptiles and amphibians and mammals on three Tennessee Army National Guard sites down in Tennessee and Georgia. So we've been working on where we're headed. We had some folks out in the field launching frog call loggers, so automated recorders that go off every hour for five minutes throughout the evening um, so that you don't have to physically be there, but then you have the frog calling data a couple weeks ago, but we're about to go out there for our first trip to set out traps and really start to figure out what's on those landscapes. So we've been working on planning for that effort. We're wrapping up a big document on a federally listed bee species, the rusty patch bumblebee. So I've been involved in kind of some of the finalizing of that report using some of my threatened and endangered species technical expertise. Um, working on spotted, one of my main jobs is I'm permitted to work with spotted turtles in the state of Ohio, which are listed as threatened. And um, one of our main clients has a lot of infrastructure where these animals occur. So we do lots of avoidance and minimization plans to protect the animal while they can still work on their infrastructure. So I've been working a ton on planning the, the season for that. And then also starting to work on a big effort. Um, we're working for U.S. Coast Guard, putting together a bunch of endangered species accounts for one of their biological assessments. So we've got that going on. And then I've also, I also help our GIS department doing a lot of mapping. So I've been doing a lot of mapping lately, too, for a lot of our projects. So that was probably all the stuff, cool stuff in the last three days. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a lot of stuff in three days. <laughs> so it's, it's lots of juggling pieces and parts and deadlines, but then also get it, picking priorities and getting a task done for one client and then moving on to the next task for the next client. I would say if anything like the difference between being a consultant and someone housed in an agency is someone housed in an agency, they pretty much know what their job is going to be each day. And they kind of have their projects and they have their projects mapped out maybe three to five years in advance. And we have no idea what's going to come across our desk the next day. How does your work address current environmental issues? So I kind of threw that kitchen sink of all the different things that you do. But I mean, our main 
deal is the solution to some sort of regulatory problem, right? Well, why do we have regulation? Because there was an environmental issue behind it. So whether it's some contaminant in the environment and we need the lab or our compliance people to go out there and take measurements, right? Or there's a threatened and endangered species and you need an expert to survey for them to protect them and anything in between. But on a more personal level is on top of all of this, we all really care about the environment. That's why we got into the field in the first place. So though we often have a corporate client, almost all of us outside of what we do on a day-to-day basis really just care about the environment, choose environmental practices in our home, at our office have really tried to make sustainable choices. We, you know, we compost, we recycle, we think about the lights. We have a huge pollinator garden that we've planted outside. Um, We're doing native plantings in the landscaping outside of our building. So not only are we making environmental solutions for our clients, but we're really trying to practice that in our own corporate culture and our own lives. That's awesome. So what has been the biggest challenge in your career and how did you overcome it? Okay, so I thought of all different kinds of things for this one, but I think the biggest is I entered graduate school right when the financial crash happened in 2008. And so I went into graduate school thinking there's all these master's level biology jobs that I'll have access to once I get my master's degree. And I left my master's degree with very little of those options left on the market. And so pieced lots of different things together. And so your question, how did you overcome that? Honestly, picked up and moved a lot for opportunities and just took the work that I could get when I could get it. And I did a little bit of substitute teaching while I was being a biologist because it was temporary. I took contract jobs. I traveled. I lived out of the back of my pickup. And ultimately, that got me all the experience that landed me a more permanent professional job. It's very important to seize any opportunities out there that's possible to get experiences When I go to career fairs, that's what I tell people is if they want to be a field biologist and they're not willing to pick up and move, they might want to reconsider because being able to just apply for 20 jobs, when you're young, apply for 20 jobs, you make it offered two, you pick one and you do it for six months. And at but like month five, you're looking for the next 20 jobs and you're in your and you're building that resume. And some people and it's unfortunate because people with privilege have an easier time doing that. If you have circumstances that make you have to be in one place and have a very steady income, it is much harder to do. And so it's something we talk about in this field. And we've talk, we had just started a diversity, equity, inclusion group at our, um, at our firm. And it's one of the things we've talked about is why isn't there more diversity in our field? And part of it is that it's incredibly competitive 
and the way we've set up how to get lots of experience is often to work for free. Well, not everybody can do that. There are solutions and pathways to make that better. And we've been talking a lot about that at work is how do we engage the um, urban Cleveland and Akron communities into our pipeline through the university. So how did your education prepare for your career? So I did my undergraduate work at a small university in Arizona, and that's where I really got introduced to herpetology um, because it's snakes and lizards um, galore, right? Um, And I was very fortunate to be at a small university, so I was in the field with a PhD at least once, if not twice, three times, four times a week. And so that really kind of launched. And then my professors had connections with folks at Arizona Department of Fish and Game. And I got an internship with them and kind of the rest is history. And then my master's is really where I became a professional biologist and no longer a technician. And all of my education, I was able to work with threatened and endangered species, which is why I'm able to have the permits to have the job that I have now. So it was connections through education and my master's degree, but then the things that I did outside, you know, that my education allowed me to do that led me to my career path. For people that want to work in the more applied sciences, I think it's really important to have real real world experience and not just school experience. So what are some ways that students can make a difference in their communities to help the environment? We've kind of touched on this before, but I think it's just being aware. I think you can't make the decision to make sure the lights are turned off or that you're actually sorting your recycling if you don't know the reason why you would even want to do that, right? Or something near and dear to my heart, you might drive right by that turtle that's crossing the road and not think anything of it or even hit it, right? Um, But if you're aware that there's a safe way to move the animal in the direction that it's traveling across the road, keeping in mind your safety and the safety of all the other drivers and the animal. And you know, oh, it's not not just a cute turtle that I can put in my car and take home and I'm saving it, that that's not doing the animal or the animal's population any favors either. Um, Just being aware of small things like that, if we all chose just a couple little things, It's the starfish story, right? Where all the starfish are on the beach and the man's throwing them in and the little boy goes up next to him and says, there's millions of starfish on this beach. The tide's so low, you're never gonna save them all. Why does it matter? And he throws another one and said, it mattered to that one. So how can we as citizens mitigate the issue of biodiversity loss? Just making choices, we're all consumers right? So making choices about our, wise choices about our consumption, because I am a true believer in conservation, not just preservation, right? So conservation means we can use natural resources, 
we can live on the environment. We can live in a house made out of wood. We can have a stove that uses gas. We can use electricity, but we need to use them smartly and sustainably. And so I think that is the way we can mitigate biodiversity loss is thinking about that we share this planet with all that biodiversity, right? And if everybody made a couple little changes, it could make big differences. Why did you choose the field of herpetology? Like, you know, it's lizards and snakes that people are usually afraid of, but why do you love to learn more about those animals? I think that's why. So creepy crawlies and that taxonomic group from Linnaeus on get a bad rap. They're gross, they're scary, they're venomous, right? Well, they deserve protection and have an ecological niche just like any other creature, right? And so I think that's really where a lot of the drivers for me come from. I also just think they're very charismatic and cool. Even even venomous snakes, they're amazing creatures. And so, yeah, that's where I think a lot of that passion comes from. You know, they're very interesting. They have all levels of behavior from animals that have tons of parental care and are much more like the fuzzy mammals that we all love to totally different life history strategies and everything in between. And so it makes them really interesting models to study all kinds of questions. I agree. And those animals are very essential to the balance of our ecosystems. So it's very important to conserve them. Yeah. So the last question of today's interview is, what advice would you like to give young people who aspire to work in environment-related fields? You need to be passionate. It's very competitive, but not impossible. You need to do well in school. There are ways around that, but strive for that. Um, But you can't only do school. You have to do things field-related outside of just the classroom. Um, And then the challenge for your generation will be What's the innovative next wave of doing a lot of this? And I think it's going to be more and more interdisciplinary and and working in teams of people that have different skill sets to come together to solve a lot of these environmental problems. And so I think that's like just looking to the people who went in front of you is great for advice, but I think that the I think that we haven't done a great job of a lot of the problem solving that's still left to be done and it's going to take innovation. So that's it for today's interview and I hope all of you enjoyed the episode with Teal. I will see you next time on Eco Science Podcast.